0: Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. I have a word that God has given me that I am so excited to share with you. It's a word that's just burning in my heart. So I have to know, like, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Because today we're talking about hunger and humility. So we, we got to find, are, are there any hungry and humble people out there? Are you ready for a word from the Lord? All right, good. Well, you look wonderful. So I think from what I can see, I think you're ready. So we're going to jump in. Today, we're continuing with our year-long theme, which, has been, which is multiply. Can you say Multiply. So this entire year, that theme has just been permeating all the different messages, multiplying. And there's a phrase that we've been saying just about every week. They're going to throw it up on the screen. But it's, we're multiplying the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. So let that sink in for a second. The the outcome of the words of Jesus is the culture of Jesus. And we're called as people, as Jesus people, to multiply that culture, okay? Okay. So we're multiplying the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. How about you help me with that? Let's all say that together, okay? Multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. And we've had a theme scripture, and I'm sure many of you have this memorized. But I'm going to say it, and then we're going to say it together a few times, okay? So Acts 6-7. Then the word of God spread... And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Now let's all just say it together since we jumped in. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 6, 7. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. Good job. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied. So we want to multiply. Does anybody out there want to multiply the kingdom of Jesus? Maybe you want to multiply the kingdom of Jesus in your family. Maybe you want your kids to receive that, that kingdom of Jesus, that culture of the kingdom. Maybe there's somebody in your workplace or young person at your school that you, you are praying for them to, to encounter Jesus. And you're the catalyst. You're the one that God wants to use to multiply his kingdom into that person. And Mark 7 is what we're, we're going through this whole chapter today, Mark 7. And I love Mark 7 because Jesus shows us in Mark 7 the reality that there are potential barriers to multiplication. I don't know about you, but as we've been doing this multiplication theme this whole year, there have been barriers that I've started, I've started to notice in my own life that they come up. You know, Sometimes, yeah, as Christians, we're really good about blaming the devil. You know, We give the devil a lot of glory that he probably doesn't deserve. Um, you know, it's like, oh, that's the devil, that's the devil, that's the devil. Not always. Sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's just pride. Sometimes it's just spiritual laziness. Sometimes I don't pray, that's not the devil, that's me. And there are barriers to multiplication. Of course, the devil doesn't want any of us to multiply the culture of Jesus, to multiply the kingdom of Jesus, but our flesh doesn't want to multiply the kingdom of Jesus. Because if you're following Jesus, you, you know, like I do, that the flesh and the spirit, they don't always see eye to eye. But in the midst of these barriers to multiplication, Mark 7 shows us that there, therein lies a catalyst to multiplication. In the midst of our barriers, there is a catalyst to multiplication. If, can you say if? We are humble and hungry. We have an opportunity. We have, each of us has an opportunity to choose whether our situations will be barriers to multiplication or a catalyst for it. We make the choice. It's like, oh, I just can't seem to multiply. There's a barrier there, but we get to choose, and the way that we choose is through humility and hunger. You know, as I was going through and writing this, um, this message, it, it, I remembered a situation when I was 11 years old, and, um, and many of you know, I grew up in a Christian household. My dad was a pastor, and um, there were many good things from that and many not-so-good things um, that came out of that experience. Uh, but I remember growing up, and I just felt the call of God on my life, and uh, and I knew it was there. And I, I, in my room, I had a bookcase, and I, there was one book that I was drawn to it. It was a white leather-bound King James Bible. All right, and I, every time I saw it, I don't know something about it. I was just drawn to that Bible. But I tried to read it one time, and I, and that was the only time I tried to read it. If you read King James, God bless you. I cannot. And I just tried, but I was always drawn to that Bible. Something about it was calling to me. I knew there was so much power and truth in those leather-bound pages, but it just seemed out of reach. I just couldn't get it. And I remember one night, I think I was just uh, just feeling all of the feelings of 11 years old, but also I felt conviction because I had been living in sin, and I knew the truth I knew that Jesus was real and he was calling me and I knew that my life didn't line up with that reality. So 11 years old, I grabbed my white leather uh, bound um, King James Bible and I had one Christian song on my iTunes. You remember this. It was I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. (laughs) And I, (laughs) I was 11, guys. Give me a break. So it's a good song, but give me a break. So I, 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 I played that song. I put it on repeat. I turned up my iMac sound as loud as it would go. And with my white leather bound Bible, I was on my knees in the carpet in my room and I was weeping in the presence of the Lord. I was gripped by God at 11 years old. I encountered Jesus in my room. No one was laying hands on me. No one was preaching a sermon to me. I was in my room alone. And I remember the Holy Spirit asking me, Caleb, I want you to give me your friends. Because they are not good. They don't lead you to me. And as a good, humble, and hungry 11-year-old, I came up with excuses why they were good friends. And I disobeyed. I said, God, you're wrong. I mean, if I give them up, I will have no one. And the thing I feared the most was to be alone, ostracized in my school. So that pride ended up becoming a barrier to multiplication. It took me another six years of God chasing me until I finally surrendered everything to him at 17. We have to be hungry and humble. I was hungry for an encounter. I was seeking God. But when I sought him, I found him. And when he spoke to me, I didn't like what I heard. And I was too proud to submit to him. And it was a barrier to multiplication. Friend, I... I don't want any of us to live in that place of barrier, being barriered from the promises of God, being barriered from the multiplication that God has for our families, that God has for our businesses, that God has for our ministries, that God has for us. And Mark 7, it's beautiful because it's going to show us how we can take those barriers and choose through humility and hunger, convert them into catalysts. So Mark seven, it's broken into three sections. Can you say three sections? So the first section is called is basically titled inner purity. Can you say inner purity? Inner purity. It's like half of the chapter is, and it, it's awesome. We're gonna read it. This is gonna be great. You're gonna love it. Um, literally, this like half of this chapter is Jesus having a conversation uh, with the Pharisees. Okay, and then the second section is about a Gentile woman. Can you say Gentile woman? And then the last section is about a deaf man. Can you say deaf man? So we've got first is inner purity, the second is a Gentile woman, and the third is a deaf man. And so we're going to go through these sections, and we're going to read through this entire chapter. So I'm proud of you guys. You're about to read an entire chapter of Scripture today. All right? This is going to be good. But the way that we're going to go through it is kind of what Pastor Hunter taught us last week, if you remember. Can you say the word exegesis? Exegesis. Exegesis is literally just the line by line exposition or understanding of the Word of God. Uh, that was a new word for me, so I'm using it any way I can now, by the way. Um, but we're going to go line by line. So we're, we're going to read a few uh, scriptures. We're going to pause, talk about some things that, that the Holy Spirit is speaking um, from, those, uh, from those lines, okay? Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, so let's jump into. Uh, Jesus teaches about inner purity. They're going to have the scriptures on the screen. There's physical outlines in the back corner if you want to grab one of those. There's also one on the U version, the Bible app. You can find the event in there if you want. Verse 1, Mark 7. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Pause. Did Jesus go to them? Who came to Jesus? They left Jerusalem to go find Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. It hit me. They came to see Jesus. The Pharisees were hungry for an encounter with Jesus. They left their city and they traveled very inconvenience. If you know, uh, travel is fun, but it's an inconvenience, especially if my son's almost two years old. It is a drastic inconvenience to travel with a two year old. But the Pharisees were hungry for something. So they had the first H. Can you say first H? They were hungry. Verse 2. They noticed that some of the disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. But this is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, him being Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, "Ooh, actually, we're not even going to get to his reply yet. So they don't wash their hands, basically. Anyone wash their hands out there? All hands should be up. Praise God. Praise God. That's good. It's a good thing. What they were asking was not a bad thing. But Jesus always had this way of looking past the external and looking into the heart of a person. And Jesus looked in. And in essence, Jesus said this. uh, The Pharisees said this to Jesus. They said, Jesus, you're not doing it right. Jesus You're not fitting into our religious mold. You're supposed to be a rabbi. Some even claim you the Messiah, but your disciples don't even wash their hands like we require. You've messed up, Jesus. You're not doing it right. Friends, friends, listen to me. We must be careful. We have got to be careful that we don't hold up our traditions our religions our way and try to force Jesus to fit into them the Pharisees had this so twisted God does not fit into our religious mold he has given us his word for us to fit into his mold. the Pharisees were hungry but they missed it they said Jesus you're not measuring up to my expectations. I know I seem angry. I'm not angry. I'm really happy you're here. Ah! Verse 6. Jesus replied. Look at what Jesus says. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition then he said you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition for instance Moses gave you this law from God honor your father and mother anyone ever heard of that Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. When I read that, I was like, snaps. Thank God we're in the new covenant. Because this guy would have been stoned real quick. Man. Must be put to death. But you say, Jesus telling the Pharisees, but you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. Someone say idolatry. Idolatry. And this is only one example among many others. Jesus flat out tells the Pharisees, you are disobedient to the word of God calls them hypocrites. And let this sink in. The Pharisees were required by age 13 to have memorized word for word the Pentateuch or the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. Word for word. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were supposed to have it memorized. And Jesus comes to them. The carpenter from Nazareth comes to them and says... You've got it wrong. You have every word memorized. You've spent your life memorizing this word for word. You're the perfect religious people. But you've got it wrong. They came to Jesus hungry for an encounter. Like when I was 11, I came to Jesus hungry for an encounter. But I wanted it on my terms. I wanted it in my way. I wanted it convenient. I wanted it to not disrupt my life. I wanted it my way. The only encounter these guys got was a rebuke. They were hungry, friends, but they were not humble. They esteemed their religions above the living God in the flesh. They missed it. I missed it when I was 11. I missed it. And I missed it all six years until I was 17. And even after I've gotten saved, there's many times where the Holy Spirit goes, Caleb, bro, you've missed it. You're esteeming your traditions. You're esteeming your thoughts. That literally is idolatry. When I say, God, my thoughts, my ways, my beliefs are higher than what you've told me is your way and your truth. When I believe in my way, then Jesus is not my way. And only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Friend, if we are esteeming our traditions, our religious ideas above the very word of God, we're worshiping idols. We might be hungry to be shaken and fall on the ground. You might be desperate for a revival, but without humility, there's a barrier to multiplication. We must be humble. So Jesus, basically, he gets annoyed with these guys. Don't, I mean, don't quote me on that. He's, he's God, I get it. But. So Jesus, he just turns his attention to his followers now. He's like, okay, you guys have got it wrong. Boom, let's talk to the disciples. Verse 14, then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you, listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable that he had just used. Don't you understand either? He asked, can't you see? The food you put into your body doesn't defile you. Food goes, doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And all the food lovers said, hallelujah. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, Pride and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. One other thing to point out here, because this theme will show itself later. The Pharisees were the perfect Jews. They observed every law, like, to the T. They were the A++ students. They weren't the 4.0, they were the 4.13 Students, not just the summa cum laude, but the magnum cum laude. They were the, boom, they were the best. You know, they had it all. They were so focused on their external, the foods we eat. We immerse it in water. We wash our cupped hands. We do all of this stuff. Their insides were filthy, hypocrites, and lost. The clothes that we wear. The way that we look, the words that we say when we come to church, they might look perfect. But Jesus looks past those things. And he looks right into our hearts. And he sees it all. There's no fronting with Jesus. Wear nice clothes. I like nice clothes. and You all are wearing nice clothes and you look lovely. But the Pharisees had it wrong. They were so focused on themselves. I mean, can you imagine? These guys were hungry to encounter Jesus. What kind of encounter could they have had if they were humble? These guys had memorized the word of God. Imagine what it would have been like if they encountered the living Messiah and he changed them on the inside. How powerful, how incredible would that have been? But because of pride, there was a barrier to the multiplication. They missed out. Instead of their encounter being a catalyst to them becoming disciples, their religiosity was a barrier. We must be careful we don't approach Jesus with pride. We can be hungry, but without humility, we'll just try to fit Jesus into our religious box. Friends, he is the living God. He doesn't reside in my cute religious box. I must love him, honor him, obey him, esteem him for who he is. Because Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the King. We serve in his kingdom. And the Lord has convicted me of this. In ministry, it's so easy sometimes we, we almost try to control the Holy Spirit. Tell Him what to do. He says, Caleb, sure, I'll move because I love you and I like to move on my people. But how much better if you just get out the way and let me flow through like a mighty rushing wind. Inner purity. The Pharisees were hungry but not humble. And the result that they got was a barrier to multiplication. Now let's look at our second story, all right? Can you say Gentile woman? Verse 24. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia. This woman heard about Jesus, and she knew he alone can answer this need in my family. Do you think she was hungry? Jesus tried to hide where he was, and like a CIA agent, she scouted him out. I mean, she just busted up on Jesus. And I want us to think about this. Remember, remember, the, the Pharisees, externally, they looked great, but internally they were wrong. Externally, this woman should not have talked to Jesus. She was a Gentile woman talking to a Jewish man. At that time, now what you didn't do that. the Gentiles were the, the uncircumcised heathens to the Jews. But she she was so desperate for her daughter to be healed, her demonized daughter to be healed. She said, I will do whatever it takes to get to the one man that has the answer. This Gentile woman had come to see Jesus. She was hungry. She needed an encounter with Jesus, the, the deliverer. Verse 27, Jesus told her. So she comes She seeks out Jesus. She's got this deep hunger, and she's finally gave him her spiel. She's gotten in front of him. And Jesus says, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, all right, that's it. I thought you were the answer, but I'm out. No, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from under the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. Friends, if Jesus compared me to a dog when I sought him out, I don't think I would have answered like this woman. I mean, think of the hunger that she had for this encounter. Her daughter was demonized. She was sick. And she sought out the one man who had the answer. And he compares her to a dog. I struggled with this scripture for a while. Because I'm like, man, this seems to go against the very heart of God in like every way. I mean, how could Jesus do this to her? I don't get it. But let's read verse 29 in the Amplified Translation. And I think we're going to see it. Verse 29. And he said to her, Because of this answer, reflecting your humility and faith. Reflecting your what? Reflecting your what? Your humility and faith. Go, knowing that your request is granted The demon has left your daughter permanently. This woman was hungry, right? But then Jesus wants to see is she humble? He tested her humility. She came to him desperate, and he wanted to see okay, let's test this heart. And he, I love it. I love Jesus. He's so awesome. Because then he says, Good answer. It's done. I've got you. You answered right. Your heart is right. Your external situation on paper doesn't make any sense. Gentile, uncircumcised, heathen woman approaching me, but your heart is humble and hungry. Instead of her external situation being a barrier, that became a catalyst in their encounter with Jesus. And her family was healed. She had come with both H's. Hunger and humility. He was testing her. And when she arrived home, verse 30, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed. And the demon was gone. I love it. This woman chose not to be like the Pharisees. She said, Jesus, you can call me whatever you want to call me. But even the dogs get scraps from the tables. I will do what, I don't care what you call me. I need this encounter. No matter what happens, I need you to move, Jesus. It doesn't have to look like I think. I don't have to get my four-year degree and then get into a ministry internship. And then I'm the pastor and I'm given the microphone and my time has come to, uh, to shine I don't care if I need to clean the toilets at the church, put out the chairs, whatever it takes, Jesus. I will do whatever it takes because I'm hungry and I will see you move like you promised you would move. What would happen if a body of of believers decided they didn't care how we looked like? We didn't care what the world thought of us. We were so hungry. We were so broken and desperate for Jesus that whatever it took, we would do it. What would happen? Our church would be a catalyst to multiplication. My life would be a catalyst to multiplication. We need both H's, friends. Inner purity, Gentile woman, and now the deaf man. Verse 31, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and healed him. I want to ask you, who brought this deaf man to Jesus? Jesus it was the people. A crowd of people brought this man to Jesus. It doesn't say that the deaf man found Jesus. A crowd brought the deaf man to Jesus. We don't know if this man was hungry or if it was just the crowd that was hungry. Either way, this is beautiful because in Counter Church, we have the opportunity to be like those people. We can take blind, deaf, speech-inhibited, mute people. We can take whatever kind of people that desperately need an encounter. And we have the ability to bring them to Jesus. You have the ability. That depressed person in your school, the one that always is alone, rejected by the others, the outcasts. We can take those people and lead them to Jesus. He was deaf And he couldn't speak. What was he going to do? If he was deaf, chances are he didn't even know about Jesus. There are people that don't even know about Jesus. They don't even know that they're hungry for Jesus. But we can lead them to him. Oh, if we would just be his hands and feet if I would just not be so concerned with what people thought of me if I asked to pray for them, to tell them my testimony. Oh, if I wasn't so prideful, what amazing things Jesus would do through me. Verse 33. Crazy. The crowd leads this man to Jesus. The crowd is hungry for a miracle. They're hungry, and Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. I mean, the crowd were the ones who brought the deaf man to Jesus. They had faith that Jesus could heal this man. Therefore, Jesus takes the man away from the crowd? Why? The Holy Spirit showed me. I believe this: the crowd, or a group, or a church, or a friend, or a youth group, or a young adult group, or a family member, can lead us to an encounter with Jesus. But each individual has to make the ultimate decision if they will allow their situation to be a barrier or a catalyst. I can lead you to Jesus. I can lead you up to him But you have to decide. I have to decide. Your mama can't do it. Our daddy can't do it. Our friends can't do it. Our siblings can't do it. Your pastor can't do it. Only we can decide. Jesus or no. We can sit in church our whole lives without making that decision. I sat in church 17 years Until I truly gave him everything. in Humility and hunger. Jesus took this man away and said okay. It continues. One of the most interesting miracles. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers. He touched the man's tongue. The Amplified literally said. He touched the saliva on his finger to the man's tongue. And I don't know why. Don't ask me. I don't get it. But looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. I love this. This man probably, he probably had no idea what was going on. He couldn't hear a group of people just like, oh, just taking him over to meet some guy. He sees some dude, Jesus. He can't even tell him what's wrong. But then Jesus pulls him aside, puts his fingers in his ears, gets spit on his tongue, and he lets him do it. I mean, think about that. If somebody hawked a loogie on their finger, I'd be like, I'm out. Not my kind of church. See ya. But he let him do it. This man allowed his physical disability to be a catalyst. He didn't back away. He didn't run away. He said, I don't know what's going on, but whatever you want to do, I need you to move. This encounter, I love it. It doesn't just touch this man. Not just this man can hear and speak, but it multiplied and impacted others. We continue in verse 36. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. This man's physical disability that resulted in a miracle multiplied in Jesus' followers. He could not stop them from talking about him everywhere they went. Talk about a catalyst. Out of everyone, this man had the biggest reason to put up a barrier to multiplication. I can't hear. I can't speak. I've got nothing. But instead, he humbled himself. And God moved. And not just in him, but through his miracle, God touched many other people. My friends, if we hope to multiply the culture of Jesus, each one of us must decide if we will be humble and hungry. Because humble and hungry people in the presence of Jesus turn their barriers into their catalyst for multiplication. Both the Gentile woman and this disabled man, they were humble. They were vulnerable. They opened themselves up to Jesus. How easy, people of God, is it for us, like R.J., Pastor R.J. was saying in worship, how easy is it for us to come to church and just do the same thing, fast, slow, slow? Or I heard one person say, happy, happy, sad, sad. Sing three songs then there's a some once a month. There's a tithes dedication. There's some announcements There's a preaching some people go to the altar go home checked my religious box for the week How easy is it for us to look on the outside like the Pharisees and go we're good? We checked our Christian box. I read my Bible every day. I pray I do the right things So did the Pharisees, but their hearts were hard if we are not open and vulnerable and humble before Almighty God. This woman allowed herself to be called a dog. She suffered what, whatever indignity she could suffer. She didn't care. She needed a move. She needed an encounter. Jesus touched her family. The blind man allowed Jesus to spit on his tongue. He didn't care. He took it. And that miracle spread among Jesus' followers. They were vulnerable and opened themselves up before Jesus. In order for our lives, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me this phrase specifically. In order for our lives to be catalysts for multiplication, we must come under the scrutiny of the cross. Giving Holy Spirit the ability to judge what's in our hearts. We must humble ourselves and be vulnerable with God, allowing him access to all our lives. People of God. Jesus doesn't care what we look like on the outside. He's not impressed by our outward shows. these two outwardly impure people, a Gentile woman and a disabled man, their hearts were right. They met Jesus, the Pharisees did not. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what the situation might be. Caleb, you don't know, I've struggled with this sickness for 10 plus years let that be a catalyst guess what Jesus is the healer I'm broke I don't have money I'm homeless guess what He is Jehovah Jireh God our provider I've been bound in addiction most of my life okay, you don't need to stay bound any longer. The chain breaker is here today. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to judge our hearts. We don't like this. It doesn't feel good. This isn't the kind of message that gets us pumped and excited to go home. This is the kind of message that should prompt us to weep at the altar. Oh, but how glorious the freedom is when we leave that place of encounter. Like that Gentile woman with her demonized daughter set free. Like that disabled man, his ears hearing and his mouth speaking. And you know, James 4, 6 says, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You ask, what what thing can discount me from my situation being a catalyst to multiplication? Pride. God opposes it. He outright resists it. If there's pride, Holy Spirit will leapfrog to the next person. I found myself in this place many times, at the altar, arms up. Why am I not getting my freedom? Holy Spirit's like, hey, (laughs) you're trying to tell me how to do my thing. How about you just surrender? He gives grace generously my friends maybe you've been stuck in a barriered state you haven't multiplied Your, your Christianity is lukewarm menial unproductive unsatisfactory meaning you're not satisfied in your relationship with God I know I feel that on such a deep level there's such a yearning in my soul for more There's such a cry. All it takes is humility. And He will meet you. I promise you, His Word promises you. He does not reject the downtrodden, the brokenhearted. He gives grace generously. If we'll just humble ourselves. good. I've been following Jesus for 10 years. That's wrong. The Pharisees chose to close themselves up. They had it all together. They were the teachers of the law of Moses. And they missed out on the the Messiah because of their religious pride. No matter how long we've been following Jesus, friend, hear me, you could have been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. But the longer that we follow Jesus, the the more that we grow closer to him, the opposite, the inverse should happen. We should become more humble because the closer we draw to our perfect God, the more we realize, oh God, I need you. Oh, how I need you. The closer we we draw to Jesus, the more humble we should become. Whether it's been 10 years or 10 minutes, maybe just a moment ago in your heart, you decided to give everything to Jesus in hunger and in humility, and your life is becoming a catalyst. Okay, come in in vulnerability, come in hunger, come in humility to the altar and encounter even more. There's always more of Jesus if we're hungry for it, if we're humble to receive it. There's always more of him. not saying that we live our lives, oh, oh, woe is me, I'm awful, but we live our lives in a place of Jesus, thank you with what you're doing, but oh, there's more, oh, there is so much more, and friends, I don't know about you, but if there's more, I want it, if there's more of him, I want it, if there's more freedom to be had, I want it, if there's more healing to be had, oh, I want it. If there's more blessing and abundance to be had, I want it. If there's more power, oh, I want it. Do you want it? No one can make you want it. And that's the first place that we, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to start today. Because multiplication cannot happen in an apathetic heart we're not hungry for Jesus that's it we're not hungry for Jesus but that can change you say hey I feel like I'm just bleh in my relationship with God it's time to ask for some hunger it's time to ask God Because those that hunger and thirst will be filled. They will be satisfied. So just to maintain this reverent atmosphere, I just want to invite you right now just to stand to your feet. We're going to go into some ministry time. I, I know that the Holy Spirit is dealing with some hearts right now. And let's minimize the going in and and coming out, the distractions. Just focus your eyes on Jesus right now. I just want to invite all of us. Let's just close our eyes. And I want to be very bold because I believe there are some people in here today. You look at your life and you can say without a doubt, I am not where I once was or I'm not close to Jesus. I am not living for him. I'm not following him closely. I don't know him like you're talking about, Caleb. I don't have that relationship that you're talking about, that intimacy, that vulnerability. I don't have it, and I want it. If you're not right with God right now, in this moment, friend, getting right with Jesus isn't like going to Publix. They don't always have it on stock in the shelves every time you go, exactly what type of cookie you like to buy. The Bible says there are moments of opportunity where your heart is soft and the door could be open for you to repent. But we are not promised tomorrow. Young person, don't wait until you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old to to start getting serious about following Jesus. Start now. Why wait? The hour is late. 11-year-old, start now. 99-year-old, start now. If you're not right with Jesus, with every eye closed, if you know you're not right, or you used to follow Jesus and you've backslidden, you're not close to him, I want to pray with you. And I want you to be bold, and I'm going to ask you, just raise, pop your hand up quickly, you can put it down. If you're not right with Jesus, with every eye closed, I want you to pop your hand up, and I want to pray with you. Okay, praise God for you. Okay, okay, I see you. Who else? You know you're not right or you once followed Jesus, but you're not following him anymore. Your heart has grown cold. If that's you, put your hand up. I want to pray with you. Oh, Thank you, Jesus. I've seen a couple more over there. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let, let's let all pray this together as a family. Let's support one another. I want, I'm going to just pray this prayer, but Friend pray this from your own heart. Say these words to the Lord Jesus Himself, not to me, but let's all pray this as a family. Jesus, thank you for the cross where you shed your blood for me. I deserved judgment, but you took it in my place. All of my sin, all of my shame, all of my fear, all of my sickness. You took it on the cross. And I receive freedom, salvation, healing today by the blood of Jesus. I am free and you are mine, God. I give you my life. You are the king of my life. I surrender to you from this moment until the end of my life. I am yours, Jesus, and you are mine. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill the hearts of every person that prayed that prayer sincerely. As sin and weights of shame are coming off of them, I pray